91.3 KBCS Community Radio, a listener-supported public service of Bellevue College. Check us out at kbcs.fm or subscribe to our podcast wherever you pick them up. Welcome to The Grit, your morning resource to go deeper into local and global current issues. I'm your host, Yuko Kodama. This week, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal held a town hall at Town Hall Seattle, and you'll listen to excerpts of the event today. Congresswoman Jayapal was elected in 2016 and is serving her fourth term in Congress, representing Washington's 7th District, which includes most of Seattle, Shoreline, Vashon Island, Lake Forest Park, and parts of Burien and Normandy Park. You'll listen to an excerpt of Congresswoman Jayapal's town hall event from Tuesday, featuring updates from Congress and an opportunity to listen to constituents. Uh, We get thousands of letters, emails, phone calls from you. We try to answer as many of them as we can. Um, We try to give you as many opportunities as you can to weigh in because that's what democracy is about. And you can be assured that you may not agree with me 100% of the time, I hope you do, but you know, we may not agree 100% of the time, but I will always tell you why I voted a certain way, what I thought about, and we will always be here to listen to you, and I can promise you that from now until as long as I hold this office. So with that, I want to talk about the 117th Congress, and then I want to talk about what we're going to do in the 118th. So the last two years were phenomenal. I never thought that we would be able to accomplish the things that we got accomplished. And I had to cut down the list of things because there's too much. There's too much, and I wanted to listen to your questions, and I felt like we weren't going to have a chance if I went through everything. But to really, with such a tiny margin, with such a small margin um, in the majority, we just had a couple of votes to spare, and nothing in the Senate, and even a dead-even Senate, We were able to accomplish, I think, the most transformative session um, that I've seen in a very, very long time. And and it started with the American Rescue Plan, which, by the way, is still paying dividends when cities and states across the country, including the state of Washington, is rolling out new programs. It's because we put money into state and local governments. We put money into people's pockets. We did the child tax credit that cut child poverty in half, showing that poverty is a bad policy choice, not a human failure, and that we can fix it. We also brought unemployment down to the lowest level in over half a century. We vaccinated people, we got shots in arms, we did, we helped small businesses to survive what was an incredibly difficult time and really we helped the whole country to survive what has been an incredibly difficult time. We also passed the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, the biggest investment in infrastructure that we have ever seen. A once in a generation investment in infrastructure and not just roads and bridges, but in clean water, getting lead out of pipes, um, helping to restore our wetlands, making sure that we're investing in transit and pedestrian access, a whole bunch of things that frankly needed a lot of care and uh, we were able to deliver on that with a bipartisan infrastructure bill. We also passed the Butch Lewis Act, which union members in the House, we saved millions of pensions uh, for union members by passing that bill. 
And we funded a $1.5 trillion appropriations bill. That's just the budget that we fund every year from the federal government. And it's the things that you care about, like Head Start and public schools and school meals, but um, in every sector. And that was a $1.5 trillion uh, package that we passed this year. It included funding for community health centers. It included funding for Medicaid. So many things that are in that budget that the federal government takes care of. We also, uh, any veterans here, we also passed the PACT Act, um, which is a landmark bill to take care of veterans who are exposed to toxic chemicals and substances. Right? We have a lot of work to do there. And we passed the Chips and Science Act, which for the first time we're saying, look, we can make things in America. We can have great jobs, we can go into places that people have flown over and passed over, but now we can make things in America, including semiconductor uh, chips. And we can do that with good union jobs. And by the way, thanks, thanks to the negotiation that I led with Secretary Raimondo, not a single penny of that is going to go to companies that do stock buybacks because the money should be invested into taxpayers and not into stock buybacks. And of course, we held the line as the Progressive Caucus, because you know I'm the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. By the way, we're now 102 members strong. And we continue to grow, and it's been just an incredible honor, but to lead this group of members and to hold the line to make sure that we pass not just the infrastructure bill, but also Build Back Better, which ultimately became the template for a reduced, unfortunately, but still consequential Inflation Reduction Act. And you all know about the Inflation Reduction Act because that is the biggest investment we've ever made in climate so that we can actually reduce carbon emissions by 40% by 2030 and get to net zero by 2050. Phenomenal achievement for us to take that on as well as for the first time, the first time getting Big Pharma to negotiate the uh, price of prescription drugs for Medicare. We capped insulin at $35 for uh, people on Medicare. We also have a $2,000 out-of-pocket cap, again, for Medicare, um, which is a big move forward. And it's all paid for by taxes on the wealthiest individuals and corporations. Um, we also passed marriage equality. We passed marriage equality, finally, in the Senate. And I mentioned that we passed my ending forced arbitration in cases of sexual assault bill, which protects tens of millions of workers across the country. And even in the face of Senate obstruction, um, the Progressive Caucus created an executive action list. And we worked with the White House on using the tools of the White House to pass the executive actions, to do whatever they could with the power of the presidency. And so thanks to the movement outside and inside and to the President of the United States, we canceled student debt for 33 million people across this country. The president also pardoned all prior federal offenses of marijuana possession. 
He also expanded health care for 10 million people and established some of the strongest antitrust enforcement, including things like banning non-competes, which is what the Department of Justice is going to do, things that will allow small businesses to thrive and workers to have uh, good jobs and create competition that is good for our economy. So, yeah, that deserves one big round of applause, because that's... <laughs> So our work is not done, and this is, um, this is what uh, just the last piece, and then we'll get to your questions. As the President said at State of the Union, we need to finish the job. We know that we need universal child care. By the way, this is all stuff that the People's House passed. So when people say, why didn't Congress get this done, remind them that the House of Representatives passed all of these things, and this is not even a full list. We passed universal childcare and pre-K so that no family pays more than 7% of their income on childcare. We passed paid family and medical leave. You can clap for each one of these things. I think they each deserve a round of applause. We passed a $150 billion investment in housing. We passed the Women's Health Protection Act to codify abortion. We passed an expansion of Medicare to include dental, vision, and hearing because that's what seniors deserve. We passed the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. We passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. We passed the PRO Act. We passed the $15 Minimum Wage Act. We passed the For the People Act, which gets money out of politics. And we passed the Dream and Promise Act and the Farm Worker Modernization Act. That is just a little bit of what the House of Representatives did for you this last session. So, why didn't all of that pass the Senate? Who knows the answer? What? Joe Manchin. <laughs> There's a structural problem in the Senate. Do you know what it is? Filibuster. The filibuster, exactly. The filibuster is uh, a racist Jim Crow legacy structural problem in Congress. It gives 40% of the senators who represent a tiny number, percentage of the population of the country, it gives them the power to block everything else. You need 60 votes in the Senate to pass anything, and uh, unless it's budgetary, which is why we kept trying to pass so many of these things through budget reconciliation, but then an unelected woman, in this case, an unelected parliamentarian, gets to say, nope, I don't think that should be in there. And then a $15 minimum wage doesn't get passed, immigration reform doesn't get passed, so many other things. So there is a structural problem, and we must get rid of the filibuster. We must. And that is not pie in the sky. You know, two years ago, we didn't even have 48 senators who were willing to get rid of the filibuster in particular instances. We certainly didn't have the President of the United States with us. Today we have more than 48, probably 49 senators who are willing to get rid of the filibuster to codify abortion, to uh, codify voting rights, to do a number of these things, but we need 50. And so the path to getting there is in 2024 to expand the Senate 
so that we have 53 or 54 or more seats in the Senate, including 50 senators who understand that this country deserves to get rid of the filibuster so we can pass so much of this legislation that the country actually supports, including gun reform, by the way, I forgot to put on here, we passed the first gun reform legislation in a very, very long time. So, what we are going to focus on now, and we just had a strategic planning session of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, um, which was kind of amazing. It's the first time we've done that. We had about 70 of our members um, there participating the entire time. And we really, um, and my focus is gonna be really on three things. One is defense. We're gonna have to play a lot of defense. We just had a 14-hour uh, markup in the Education and Labor Committee where I sit along with Judiciary Committee. And um, it, it was horrible. It was 14 hours spent on two bills. One was to ban trans, uh, trans girls in sports. And the other was called the Parents' Bill of Rights, which was about banning books and censoring books in schools. And again, um, you know, really targeting LGBTQ folks. Now you all know I'm the proud mom of a transgender, beautiful transgender daughter. And she gave me permission to talk about her if it would help the cause. And, um, and so it has been just hard for me to watch that as a mom, but also to get the outpouring of emails from trans folks across the country thanking me for speaking out and also just so horrified by the cruelty of so much of the conversation. So we're gonna have to play a lot of defense, not just on those things that, um, those are really excuses in my mind for uh, the extreme Republicans on the other side, and there are, there are some who I don't put in that category, but unfortunately, um, that's not the case with many, and they want to focus on cutting Social Security and Medicare. They want to roll back all of the work that we did over the last two years. They want to cut the IRS when we added to the IRS so we could go after the wealthiest tax cheats um, and make sure that people were paying their fair share. We know that they have formed what I call the Insurrection Protection Committee, what they call the Weaponization of Government Committee. Um, but this is to really attack our federal government when I believe that the federal government, and we showed this during COVID, is the single best uh, equalizer of opportunity. The single entity that can, if it decides to, put its thumb on the finger to equalize opportunity for everybody. So we're, we know we're gonna have to play a lot of defense, um, but also we're gonna have offense. We're gonna have implementation of bills that are gonna be happening throughout the next two years. I call it the timeline of good things. Um, we're gonna be rolling out all kinds of things, like just as an example in healthcare, in April, a number of Medicare Part B drugs will become more affordable. In September, Medicare price negotiation goes into effect for the first prescription drugs. In October, um, adults with coverage from Medicaid and CHIP will be guaranteed coverage of vaccines. So any number of good things, energy tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act are available now. You can go to rewiringamerica.org and see what you qualify for. But a family in Washington state could get up to 18 to $20,000 of tax credits if you buy energy efficient appliances or heat pumps or an electric vehicle. 
So there's a lot of things that are going to unfold over the next two years, and we're going to be making sure that those get out there and they get done. But also, we're going to have another executive action agenda. And we have a number of things that weren't completed on the last round. Um, for example, uh, Trump had started a, a, a really terrible program that essentially privatizes Medicare. It's now called ACO Reach. We were able to get some reforms to that from the Biden administration, but we want more. Um, we want to get rid of that program, actually. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't keep traditional Medicare instead of privatizing Medicare and allowing private insurance companies to make an enormous amount of money from overpayments to these private insurance companies. And so we're also working to reform Medicare Advantage, and um, we hope that the president will be with us on this. We're also working to raise overtime, uh, the overtime threshold so that people can get, actually get paid for the work they do. Um, and this is something the president personally spoke to me about. He's very interested in. I hope we're able to do that. That would allow 30 million, up to 30 million, depending on where they set the threshold, to get uh, paid for the work they do. So we have a big executive action agenda and a lot of work to do over the next two years because this is going to be a short um, session where we're in the minority. And in 2024, we are going to take back the House. We are going to expand the Senate. We're going to keep the White House. And we're going to finish the job, as the president said. So I'm so glad that you all are here. And I guess the last thing I'll say before we go to your questions is, um, you know, I think that Democrats, I've been thinking about this a lot, Democrats are the party of freedom, of family, and of faith. These are words that have been taken from us and sometimes used to describe my colleagues on the other side. But when I think about it, I'm just so clear about this. We believe, Democrats believe in the freedom to vote, the freedom to make choices about our own bodies, the freedom to have economic security. We believe in families, all kinds of families. No matter what you look like, we welcome and support families, and we support families with paid medical leave, with childcare, with all the things that it requires to take care of a family. And we're the party of faith. We believe in all faiths or no faiths. We believe that everybody has the opportunity, though, to come to the United States or to be in the United States and have a democracy. We believe in, we have faith in this idea of democracy. And we have faith in this country that allowed a 16-year-old immigrant from India, like me, to come to the United States with nothing in her pocket and completely by herself and to have this amazing community elect me as your representative in Congress. So thank you so much. You're listening to excerpts of Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal's town hall held at Town Hall Seattle this week, Tuesday, on 91.3 KBCS Community Radio. This is The Grit. And we are ready for questions. My name is Alpuna, and I am a social justice advocate, as you know. My question here is about the House Bill 6425. 
that's protect our post office act. Uh, I would like to know how this act is going to protect our democracy. Uh, as we already know, um, that people who are trying to uh, run in this election, coming election, and um, according to the, these rules, like uh, Amendment 14, Section 3 of our Constitution, if they are not eligible to run, how this uh, bill will protect us. I'm not sure what that bill is. Did you say protect our post offices? Okay, so um, if I'm remembering correctly, the Protect Our Post Office Act is about ensuring that our postal system can stay doing the work that we need it to do. And it is specifically the post offices get um, essentially hit with covering people's retirement for a very long time, which no other agencies have to do, and so they're deemed as insolvent. And you know we have to get Louis DeJoy out of there as the Postmaster General. Um, but that is not something that the President can do. So he was, you know, unfortunately we have to continue to try to fill that board. But I think that the post office is so incredibly important and functions on so many levels for rural communities, urban communities, and for us in, in terms of a democracy, you know, we have vote by mail. So we need the post offices to function in order to be able to continue that vote by mail. That, that bill passed the House but did not pass the Senate, and so we're gonna continue to do that to make sure we strengthen our post office. And we'll go over here. My name is Lasha Kimolero. I've been in America for 43 years. And last month, I won my case as a pro se in United States District Court. And Nicholas Brown, he's now trying to appeal it. But that's fine. My question is this. When you ran in 2016, you said you were in Seattle fighting Bush administration on immigration. When you got elected, I sent a letter to your office. You rejected my letter and said, I'm not in your constituency. It's a national issue. It's not a regional issue. Then I went to, anyway, I have my question right yeah. here. Well, congratulations, I... first of all. And why don't we make sure you talk to somebody on our team and figure out what we can do to help. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Congressman, for showing up for the town hall. It's wonderful to have you here. So uh, one of the questions that I have, um, a while back I was, uh, I worked at the Locks, Ballard Locks, Locks and Dams, and I ran a national campaign both against the Reagan administration and against the Bush administration. Nationally, they were going to try and privatize all 240 locks and dams in the country, and my national campaign was successful. I beat them twice. And... <laughs> I'd like to get involved and help you guys out because I think this next election is going to be crucial for the United States of America. And since I've beaten them twice, I'd like to make it number three. So. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I've got some things here with my name and phone number on it. And Great. I'd love to talk to your staff about that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. And thanks for your work. Hi, my name is Luxuria. I just have a question. So is HR 669, which is restricting the nuclear weapons, is that getting approved or there's another bill that's holistically um, covering those type of issues? 
So it's really hard for me when people give me numbers. I'm so sorry, because there are so many bills that it's really difficult for me to know which number is which bill. But I can talk to you about nuclear weapons and my view on that, which is I have consistently um, believed and signed on to bills that denuclearize our world. I do not believe nuclear weapons um, should be utilized. We have a no first use bill that Ted Lieu has put forward that I'm a co-sponsor of, and we're trying to do everything we can to um, denuclearize the world and to take that threat away. We know that we are in a very difficult time right now. We're probably closer uh, because of the situation in Ukraine and with Russia, also um, other parts of the world where this is a very real threat. And we've been continuing to work with the Biden administration, work with our colleagues in Congress to see if we can um, get to a place where we can all commit to uh, banning nuclear weapons, but at a minimum banning first use so that the United States would never be first use. So I'd love to talk to you more about that particular bill, um, but I commit that I'm gonna continue to work on that. Thank you so much. Uh Congresswoman Jayapal, Dr. Jeffrey Perkins Jr., we always meet. Uh, keep up the good work, first of all. I'm a long-term supporter and voter. I'm out there in the streets also, although retired. My question again is, what is Congress doing to ensure that they're gonna get policing reform in here so we can stop watching this horrific episodes on television of women crying, children being shot in the back, men, or whatever, and it's not about race because Memphis showed us that police is not race, it's the attitude, it's the behavior, it's the lack of training, and keep up the good work. They must pass reform and get good cops and get rid of the bad seeds. So on that note, keep up the good work and uh, <laughs> Amen, I, brother. I'm out of here. Thank you so much for your work, and let me just say, um, you know, we passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. We don't believe that uh, we should have no-knock warrants and that a police officer should be able to have absolutely zero accountability for putting a knee on the neck of a man and killing him or for what we just saw with Tyree Nichols. And, you know, I think this was heartbreaking. I don't know. I, I watched the whole, all of the videos in Tyree Nichols' case and, and um, I also watched the video that his mother put out of him skateboarding because I know that as a mother, I think she wanted people to understand who this child, who this young man was, who her child was. And, um, you know, it just, it has been so frustrating that that has not passed the Senate. I know Cory Booker is working hard on this, but they do not have 60 votes in the Senate. And this is why I say we have to get rid of the filibuster. In the meantime, I was very happy that the DOJ came out with the report that they did uh, in, in, uh, in, um, in uh, the last case, and also that there's another, you know, also with Breonna Taylor, Brianna Taylor's case, that you know, we are starting to see at least some accountability, but it has to involve culture change and in, in police departments, it has to involve change from the very top of the leadership, and we have to make sure that community safety means everybody is safe, not that black kids uh, and, and people go out in the streets and then have to run in the opposite direction because they know that they're gonna die if they, uh, if they get approached by police officers. So thank you so much for your work on that. We'll continue to do as much as we can. Appreciate you.
Hi, my name is Louise Lansbury, and I'm a member of the Friends Committee on National Legislation Advocacy Team here in Seattle. There are 130 teams across the country now. And last year, we focused on the Yemen War Powers Resolution, which I know you were one who supported that in the House. Um, and it never did come up for a vote. Uh, my concern now is with this new policy of, uh, I don't know what to call it, whatever you call it between Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, what this is going to mean for Yemen. And um, if Saudi Arabia does begin to bomb uh, the Yemen again, what measures that you can take to um, keep that from happening? Yeah, we worked so hard on the Yemen War Powers Resolution. I was leading the fight with the CPC in the House. Um, I met with Jake Sullivan multiple times. Um, we worked with Senator Sanders to bring it up in the Senate. And at the last minute, we could not get it to the floor. We couldn't get the votes to get it to the floor. Um, we couldn't even get the votes to just have a vote, even if it even if it was going to go down. Um, we just had the Syria War Powers Resolution. I don't know if you saw that. That was Matt Gates's resolution. I supported it. Uh, it was a Republican resolution, but on war powers, we've actually had bipartisan support, and we're hopeful that perhaps we could get this across the finish line. Um, the administration was opposing it, and there are some reasons for that that I could go into, but I did vote for it, and I think, you know, I think the thing about war powers that people have to understand is Congress needs to be able to authorize any use of American troops and resources in hostility and war. And that's just the bottom line. And there is too much, starting with the 2001 AOMF, which I'm very happy to say might have a chance of being repealed and signed a two, sorry, 2002, being signed into law, um, I hope that's the case. But we have too much that has ridden on these previous AUMFs, and then it takes Congress out of the uh, equation completely. So we're still fighting back on that. And as you said, the powers in the Middle East are challenging um, for any number of reasons that we could go into, including the relationships with the United States and different, uh, you know, different things that have happened where we haven't brought accountability to bear in the way that we should. So thank you for your work on that. We just have to keep fighting it. We can't give up on this and we have to keep going. Thank you. Um, thank you, Congresswoman Jayapal. Uh, I'm Aiden, I'm a junior at Garfield High School. Yay, I was just, Garfield! <laughs> I was just in Olympia with the Seattle Student Union to fight for two gun control bills. We met with the governor, the first lady, and multiple state senators. And they all gave their usual spiel of being proud and inspired by our generation. But I've been to Olympia about a dozen times, and frankly, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of fighting with everything I've got for scraps of policy, only to be back next year to do it all again. What are you doing in DC so that my classmates and I can stop going to lobby days, stop going to protests, and stop going to vigils? Um, what's your name? What's your name? Name. Your name again. I'm sorry, Aiden. which? On what? Aiden. Aiden. What did you ask? On which issue? Sorry. Gun, gun control. Gun control. Okay, I missed. I heard you saying we're tired of people, and I but I missed what issue it was. It was guns. Okay. Um, well, listen, Maxwell Frost just joined Congress from Florida. 
And he got a start in March with our lives. And I think seeing people across the country um, mobilizing and demanding difference and is what got us to pass the first gun legislation in decades. It isn't enough. We have passed the assault weapons ban in the House of Representatives. We have passed bipartisan uh, gun safety checks. We have passed every piece of legislation on guns that we have worked on together in the House. But this is again where I say we have to understand that the structure of Congress was set up for us to fail. It was set up for the major majority of the population to fail. And so unless we can change that structure, I have this phrase, change the rules, not the ruler, because you can change the ruler, but if the rules are the same, you're still not gonna get your work done. And we need to change the rules. We need to make it so that if a majority wants to pass an assault weapons ban because our kids are dying in schools and movie theaters and grocery stores around the country, that some person can just come out with an assault weapon and fire and kill people and we're having to teach our kids to go to school and hide under desks, that that cannot continue. But right now, the system is stacked where we don't have 60 votes in the Senate, and the gun lobby is still incredibly powerful. And I had a bill this last time that was a bipartisan bill, and it was a voluntary um, suicide waiver bill, gun, gun waiver bill for people who felt suicidal. It's pretty uncontroversial. Washington State has passed it. Utah has passed it. We got support from March for Our Lives for it. And the NRA came out and opposed it and said, well, it's a slippery slope. So there's no change that the gun lobby is gonna support. And all I can say to you is what you are doing is what makes change happen. It doesn't happen as quickly as you want. It doesn't happen as quickly as I want. It is incredibly frustrating. It is wrong, but it is what makes change happen. So please, Aiden, do not give up. Do not check out, do not lose faith. Um, just hold on to the belief that you can make change happen because it has happened, it will happen, and I believe you can make it happen. Hi, my name is Mark Taylor Canfield. I'm a musician and a journalist here in Seattle. I serve as executive director for Democracy Watch News, which is a nonprofit that covers challenges to democracy around the world. I would like to know how I could arrange to brief you on your staff on a very important issue that's being ignored by all of our corporate media and by any of the political representatives I know of, and that is the fact that the United States is currently ranked 42nd in the world in terms of press freedom on the World Press Freedom Index by Reporters Without Borders. On May 3rd, uh, Reporters Without Borders uh, puts out a new report on World Press Freedom Day as designated by the United Nations. There will be an international conference at the United Nations this year on that day, which I plan to participate in. And I really want um, us to talk about how federal legislation, including the development of a, of a federal shield law to protect reporters from being forced to reveal their sources, could really help this situation. Mark, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for the work you've been doing. Um, a really, really important question. And in addition to what you talked about, I will tell you that I spent 16 months working on antitrust legislation. And right now, all of our small newspapers, 
um, you know, our community-based news newspapers are all getting gobbled up by Google and other big tech companies' ad market. And I can go into this more, but when I spent time looking into it, I realized that unless we take on these big uh, monopoly players and concentration of market power, it is affecting our news sector. And we have a lot of work to do to make sure that we are protecting our um, independent press, to make sure that we're protecting our journalists, and to make sure that we are also fighting for our journalists in other countries when um, some, of our, some of the countries that we have relationships with uh, murder journalists and we don't get accountability. So really across the board, I think this is a really important point you're raising and we're gonna keep working on it and we'll talk to you about your legislation idea. Thanks, Mark. Music and Ideas, this is KBCS, a broadcasting service at Bellevue College. Careers start here. Fast track your entry or re-entry into the workforce with a 30 credit certificate as a database analyst or database user specialist. Check out bellevuecollege.edu slash start here. You're tuned to The Grit this morning on 91.3 KBCS Community Radio since 1973. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know which Republican party we're going to be dealing with. Are we dealing with the party of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who Kevin McCarthy promised a lot of things to in order to get the speakership, or... Are we talking to the very handful of, of Republicans that I think would go along with us? Now, I know some of them. I work with some of them. Um, if we have all Democrats and a few of them, and we could find a way to get a bill to the floor, and there are some ways that we might be able to do that, then, uh, then I think we will we'll be able to get it done. I mean, the debt ceiling, as you know, because you're asking me the question, I know you know this, I'll say it for other people, it's not about paying forward debts, it's just about paying our bills. And um, the idea that we wouldn't raise the debt ceiling um, because we want to negotiate on what we're gonna spend in the next year is completely ridiculous. Democrats did not do that. Um, under a Republican administration because we know the entire world relies on our word to pay our bills, and so does the country. And so are Republicans going to drive us to a shutdown? They might. Um, we are not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling, and if they want to talk about the deficit and reducing the deficit, then how about we talk about revenues and the president's proposal to raise revenues by raising taxes on the wealthiest. That's the way we can deal with that issue. Yes, good evening, Congresswoman. My name is Dr. Lawrence Adeyemi. And uh, way back, I was uh, interviewed by, by partition, a congressional committee on immigration in the Seattle area. And they were trying to know if uh, immigrants are really adding values to the, to the system or depleting the economy and stuff. But I stood up for what I believed in, that immigrants add a lot of value to the system, and they still do. So um, the, second thing I, the second thing I want to say is that uh, you guys have accomplished so much 
And uh, I sat down here tonight, I was listening to a litany of so many things you've accomplished. It seems to me that uh, the Democrats need to have a bigger megaphone to speak to the, to the public about your accomplishments. So we need you guys to have a way of communicating to citizens to share your accomplishments. Now, it comes to my question now. I'm a small businessman, and uh, I'm working in the area of uh, decarbonation of uh, uh, the facilities, and you know, the black and brown communities need, has need for decarbonation. And so, um, what funding is accessible to small businesses for green projects? Can you tell me what funding is available? I'm for sorry. EV charging station and green projects. Oh, EV charging stations. Okay. Well, first of all, on the immigrant question, I just have to say thank you for saying that. Um, I am now the ranking member on the immigration subcommittee, by the way, in judiciary. Um, and I'm actually the first immigrant, first naturalized citizen to... Um, to have that position, either as chair or ranking. We've never had an immigrant in that position. And uh, it's a, thank you. It's a huge responsibility, and I really believe that the American people want humane immigration reform and recognize that this country is a country that has, has both pushed away and welcomed immigrants over time, but it is a part of our national um, identity and we know how much immigrants from all over the world have contributed to this country and we desperately need humane immigration policy so I'm committed to continuing to work on that and to talk about the contributions and the resilience of immigrant uh, immigrants across the across the country so on EV chargers that is what the Inflation Reduction Act does provide for is money to establish an EV charging network across states and across the country. And so that money is gonna be rolling out, it is going to support the state also, and um, we will be able to get, this hasn't come out yet, but there will be monies to put EV chargers into community places. So apartment buildings, particularly in lower income communities, housing projects, postal service, you know, all the places where people gather, and the hope is that as we build out that grid, that we will be able to transition more and more people with the tax credits on EVs as well into um, EV electric vehicles uh, and, and get away from the use of fossil fuels. So all of that is part of the Inflation Reduction Act. We'll be rolling out all of that over the next couple of years. And so stay tuned. I think you're gonna see a big growth in the EV charging network. Thank you so much. Hi, thank you, um, Congresswoman. My name is Christina Gosling, and in October, I became a US citizen, and in November, I lost my job due to tech layoffs. I was wondering what you and your office and the government are doing to hold these big companies accountable for their record profits, but then laying off all of their employees. I see that Meta is laying off another 10,000, so how are we holding these companies accountable when their billionaire CEOs are making a bunch of money and we're getting laid off? Yes, yes, yes. Exactly right. I mean, look, if you create a bunch of jobs, but you are getting enormous tax subsidies for it, 
and you're not paying your employees enough so that they can even afford housing or health care, and they're on public subsidies, as many of our largest employers have, um, that is not creating good jobs. And so what we're doing is many things. I mean, first, you know, we're trying to raise wages. We're trying to raise benefits. We're trying to tax the wealthiest corporations, too many corporations that don't pay any taxes. And so that's why we instituted a minimum tax in the Inflation Reduction Act. So corporations have to pay 15%. But also, I have a whole series of bills. I've got the Ultra Millionaires Tax Act with Senator Warren. And it says, your first 50 million is free and clear. You don't have to pay taxes on your first 50 million of wealth. Not income, but wealth. But every uh, dollar over that, you just pay us two cents. And if you get to 100 million, you pay us three cents. And that would bring in trillions of dollars over 10 years to be able to fund good programs. We have a maximum CEO to worker pay ratio. What about that? Why not have a ratio that says that you can't earn more than X amount uh, more than your lowest worker? There are any number of things that we have been <laughs> continuing to put forward. And I think at the end of the day, we just have to look at um, the structure of corporations and why they're here. Because it used to be that if you wanted to get your certification as a corporation, you had to apply every year, and you actually had to show that you were doing good for the community. That's what, for those of you who were here, you know, in old Seattle, we were a Boeing town. People had good union jobs, middle-class jobs. They did well for themselves. If you were worked at a grocery store, it was a good job. You could raise a family on it. Now we have people working two, three, four jobs and still unable to support themselves while we have this incredible wealth at the top. So I always say we don't suffer from scarcity in America, we suffer from greed. And that's what we need to take on. So I'm so sorry that you lost your job. And if we can help you at all, we will. And by the way, I'm also taking on all these corporate monopolies. So I have a bill to um, break up big corporate monopolies, including some that might be located right here in Seattle. Um, and I think it's just important that we continue to look at concentration of wealth. Good evening, Congresswoman. Uh, one year ago at your Finney Ridge town meeting, uh, you stated that you were for de-escalating the Ukraine war. Uh, since that time, we've escalated, sending over $100 billion in weapons and aid, and all that's resulted in is we've extended the conflict, resulting in more dead Ukrainians and Russians, and we've moved ourselves closer to a nuclear conflict. Now, recently, as chair of the Progressive Caucus, you issued a statement expressing commitment to what I think is a reckless policy, at the same time, you, you concluded this statement by saying you remain open to constructive de-escalation and diplomacy. That is something we need to pursue aggressively. It's going to require creative politics. Um, two elements that could contribute to that. One is the overtures of Pope Francis, who said he would mediate negotiations. Secondly, the vote on House Concurrent Resolution 21, where you and your progressive colleagues joined forces with Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Volbert, and people were supposed to hate to fight war. So what, how do we de-escalate? Yeah, thank you so much, and I see. Oh my gosh, there's my friend. Code Pink, hi Medea. <laughs> nice to see you all, and thank you for being here. I didn't even know my friend Medea was gonna come to Seattle to see me, how great. Um, so
So we, you know, this is a really uh, challenging situation. And we have been working, not always publicly, for a number of reasons, to push the administration to have this, this set of goals, talks, private conversations around diplomacy, because we all know that every war ends um, with diplomacy. And we also know that the time when military conflict is greatest is actually the time when you need to be talking about peace the most. And so, um, but it is challenging. And I'll tell you that for a number of reasons, um, the, we need to make sure that we are um, continuing to support Ukraine. But for me, the question has always been one of offensive versus defensive support. And I think, I was just talking to my friend Barbara Lee about, about this because we've been trying to figure out what is the way, and it may not all be public, but what is the way that we can make sure that we are, and I believe the Biden administration is trying to do this, but I will tell you that I think there needs to be public support for this as well. And there's gotta be, and there's gotta be, um, Ukraine has to also be a part of this conversation. Nothing's going to happen without Ukraine. And so those conversations are ongoing. It's, it, is, it has been um, concerning to me that we, it, the, the kinds of support are becoming more offensive in nature. I don't think they've crossed the line yet, but we've been trying to figure out what is that line where we need to make sure that once it crosses a line that there is authorization from Congress for this. In the meantime, I also think that supporting the Ukrainian people and making sure that we are doing everything we can to make sure that humanitarian aid gets in, to protect the children in Ukraine, all of the work that I know we are all very committed to, and by the way, you might have seen, I've been pushing for this, but the Biden administration just extended the one year of parole to those who came across the border as well, just like we did Ukrainians who came across the border, just like we did for the Uniting Ukraine Act, but we haven't done it for Afghanistan yet, so we still need to do it for Afghanistan as well. But these are all part and parcel of how we support Ukraine. It isn't just with the military aid. And so we're still working through this. I wish I had a really good answer for you, but um, we're still working through this and we wanna continue to be in dialogue with the administration and we wanna continue to address this within our own caucus because within the Democratic caucus as well, um, we are not the Republicans on this issue. We are very, very different from the Republicans on this issue, but certainly there are um, some who are with us on, for example, reducing the military budget um, in general, uh, which you know is a big priority for me. So let us continue to work with you and figure out what the way through is. I, I don't have a great answer. I think it's, it's really challenging, and I think um, Barbara and I, Barbara Lee leads the Peace and Security Task Force for the Progressive Caucus, so we are doing this together, figuring out what we need to do, what conversations we need to have, and how we ensure that we both support Ukraine and um, do not engage in another very, very dangerous uh, war uh, that, that puts us there for a very long time and takes the lives of 
even millions more than, than the devastation we've already seen. So let's keep talking and let's keep figuring out where we go from here, but thank you for the work you're doing for peace um, around the world. Well, I always support peace talks, but I think the question is how to make them happen, Medea. And that, I think, is the real challenge. And happy to sit down and talk more with you on it. But I think, you know, of course, we, I think that's an easier question to answer than how to have that happen in a way that could be successful and lead to a successful conclusion for the Ukrainian people. Thank you. Hi, Congressman Jayapal. By the way, that was an action because I used mm. to do actions with her. So this is like a very gentle action, but it's an action. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rick Harwood. I'm with the Seattle Cuba Friendship Committee tonight, and I'm here to remind you of Donald Trump's, one of his last acts as president, besides the insurrection, which I know you're painfully aware of, was to put Cuba on the state support of terrorism list with the State Department. Since President Biden has been president, the State Department has not taken Cuba off the list. You've been a supporter of ending the U.S. embargo of Cuba, and so I'm interested in hearing if you'll put the uh, these two efforts to take Cuba off that list and to continue to call for an end to the embargo on the executive agenda of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're absolutely working on that and actually I'm hoping to go um, also to Cuba um, this year. My friend Cindy Domingo is working on that so um, hopefully we can lead a delegation over because I think this is one of the big, really big travesties that this hasn't been reversed yet so we'll absolutely uh, support that. I'll let Cindy know that you're ready to go to Cuba. <laughs> yeah, she knows. She knows she's been working on getting me there. Uh, hi, Congre uh, Congresswoman uh, Jayapal. I don't know if you remember me. My name is Sophia Lee, and I am a former chair of the Gender Justice League and a former commissioner on the Seattle Women's Commission. Recently, I worked with um, Congressman uh, Bill Foster on his re-election campaign. Um, so thank you for all your support that you have been doing that so far to, for, uh, for the transgender community and everything but I'm sure you know that it is not enough. We have been having so many laws being passed in, um, in various different states where they are going after um, transgender people's um, ability to live at their genuine self, ability to access life-saving health care. Parents are being, parents are being um, like attacked for having trans children. Um, like, we understand that it's a difficult issue, but um, we need to, um, <laughs> like trans kids are being attacked and they are going to die because of these things. What can you do to uh, yeah. support them? Yeah, thank you so much, first of all, for your leadership and for your work. Um, so I also just became the um, co-chair, well I was last term as well, but the co-chair of the Trans Equality Task Force. And um, so we just did a series of educational events for our members, um, including to educate people about some of the issues we know Republicans are bringing up, like trans girls in sports. So we had a wonderful roundtable with trans girls, with athletes, with others, to talk about 
why this is all not just cruel, immoral, what the Republicans are doing, but also false. You know, we, Washington State was the first state in the country to have an inclusive, trans, uh, a tr uh, sports inclusive policy towards trans people. And that was in 2008. And we have not had problems with it. And yet, they're trying to instill fear of the trans community, and I think that was the hardest part. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna continue to do what we're doing. We're having to push back 14 hours. If you watch any of the footage from that hearing, it was 14 hours in committee markup of pushing back on everything they said. No, it's not just, it wasn't just on sports, it was on everything. It was on healthcare, it was on, you know, just participation, it was criminalizing. By the way, this is the same playbook for abortion, right? Criminalizing parents, criminalizing providers. And so I will be introducing my Trans Bill of Rights, which addresses a comprehensive vision for justice for the trans community, hopefully right around Trans Visibility Day. We'll be doing a big national town hall on it. We're just trying to speak out on all of the ways to say to, to so many people across this country, we see you, we hear you, we are fighting for you, we're not gonna let them take your rights away, we are not gonna let them criminalize you, absolutely not on our watch. Thank you. Uh, hi, I'm Betsy Bell, and I'm here representing the Washington Physicians for Social Responsibility. And, um, my point has been taken and demonstrated already, but I just wanted to register how, um, how much danger we are in. The nuclear danger is, is huge right now. It's much more than 90 seconds to midnight. It's closer. So we, we need diplomacy more than anything else, and we need to reduce the budget for nuclear weapon re, um, you know, to, we shouldn't be going back into the ICBMs and fixing them to make them work. They're useless. And I don't know what you can do to help um, make I mean, that we, happen. We thank you, first of all, for, for doing that. We so appreciate it. Thank you for raising the question again. I mean, look, this has been a frustration in my six years in Congress. I thought we were making progress on reducing the Pentagon budget, reducing particular line items within the Pentagon budget. The Pentagon is the only agency that has not passed an audit. It just failed another audit. And yet, the President is asking for $862 billion for the Pentagon. And um, there are all kinds of ways that you can cut the Pentagon budget. And we are now giving even more than the defense secretary asked for. You know, in the last budget, the defense secretary asked for a certain amount. We actually ended up authorizing more. Now, you know I vote against this every year <laughs> um, because I just think it's, it's awful. And I think on, on nuclear, you know, my comments earlier, I think your comments are right on the mark. And I think we just have to, we, we cannot get, look, this is the theme tonight, right? There are so many issues that we are facing. And we, we did amazing work in the last couple of years, but there is so much more that we have to do. And there are some issues that are really intractable. Um, I think the Pentagon is, is one that is extremely a tough nut to crack. I think immigration is another one, something I've spent 20 years of my life working on and I feel like we're taking steps backwards instead of forwards. You know, criminal justice, the gentleman who talked about George Floyd justice and policing and 
all the things we need to do here. There, there are big issues, but I hope that what you take from this is whether it's organizing for peace, whether it's organizing for gun reform, whether it's organizing for immigration reform, they are counting on us. People who are opposing us are counting on us to get tired. And I'm not tired. Are you tired? I'm not tired. We're not giving up and we're gonna keep going. Thank you so much. Hi. Diana, hi, hi. how are you? Uh, Diana Pierce. I'm actually today not talking about poverty, which is my usual thing, um, but about the Afghan uh, situation, the Afghan refugee situation. We have a family living in the house next door that we own. And uh, first of all, it's a mother-headed family. And there's a lot more single mothers in the Afghan refugee than we, you know, we have the stereotype of the translator and the mother stays at home. And we are not adequately addressing it. They were given three months of support, and we've been scrambling ever since. Um, they, they went four months without paying any rent um, because there wasn't any support. And they got here a year and a half ago. Almost all of them have a two-year, um, and there was efforts to pass something, but what, what, what can we do? Yeah, and, no, and it's, so it's a huge, I, so I've been, I've been pushing hard on the Afghan Adjustment Act, which is the thing we need to do. I mean, we, these are folks who fought for the U.S. government. I mean, we're working on our side at tremendous risk to their lives, and we owe it to them to be able to provide them with a life here in the United States. The ability to work, the ability to take care of their families, the ability to, to live, and so we've been pushing very hard. This is bizarre because this is a bipartisan bill, the Afghan Adjustment Act. Um, and, you know, we have also been pushing with DHS to make sure that we address this administratively. Um, you know, we were able to do some wonderful things in Ukraine. We need to do those in Afghanistan also um, for Afghani refugees and uh, uh, Af uh, Afghan refugees. So I think we're, um, I feel like Hopefully we will get something done, but we don't have a lot of time. So we're pushing very hard to do that. And also just to support um, refugees when they're here, because as you know, that support goes away very quickly and it's extremely difficult. I think people think that refugees get all kinds of support, but you know, and I know that they don't. And so I wanna thank everybody for doing what you can. It's why we support organizations like um, the uh, like Ming Ming's organization because um, people need to feel fulfilled in their lives. They need to be able to eat. They need to be able to take care of their children. They need to be able to work. They need to have a home here. They can't go back to Afghanistan. So um, thank you, Diana, and be in touch if there's something specific on, on that family's uh, situation that we can help with as well. Thank you, good to see you. Hi, uh, my name is Jesse Mason. I used to work retail at a Verizon Wireless store at Northgate until they fired me for trying to organize a union. And uh, you listed off some great infrastructure bills. Um, a lot of that money, billions of dollars of money goes to Verizon, which they then turn around and use to bust unions uh, in your district. I know you're pro-union, pro-act is amazing, but we both know that pro-act is never getting passed. So I wanna know 
what you can do in terms of hearing subpoenas to actually try to hold these federal contractor union busters accountable. Yeah, no, thank you. We are gonna pass the PRO Act. We are. We are gonna pass the PRO Act and hopefully we'll do better than the PRO Act because I kind of think the PRO Act is sort of the minimum that we need. Um, so we are now trying to make sure that prevailing wage standards are in all federal contracts. We're trying to make sure that, like we did with Chips and Science, that there are ways that we can insert union organizing into what we demand of our federal contractors. And I think that is, you know, that is really, really important because this, this idea that, um, you know, you have to bust a union in order for uh, the company to do well is not an idea that actually exists in other parts of the world. If you go to Europe, it's a very different approach to unions, whereas here um, we find that all these big corporations are so anti-union, and I, I just, you know, I'm married to a union guy, I've been a union supporter my whole life, and um, I just, I, I, I don't understand it, except I do, unfortunately. And so we're trying to now instill that into every bill we pass, every law that we write, and trying to make sure that we are continuing to encourage unions. So one thing I, I think I will say is I've never seen so much interest in union organizing across the country. It's been phenomenal to watch Starbucks workers, Amazon workers, you know, workers at all these different big companies organize, but we also need to make sure, and that's why we got the most money for the NLRB that we've ever gotten, because we also need to ensure that we're enforcing um, union organizing laws that we have, and. Uh, forcing employers to, um, you know, to at least follow the laws when it comes to union organizing. So we'll keep working on that. I know we haven't gotten all the federal contractors out because we, it is so ingrained in so many big corporations here to be anti-union. And of course, those are the, the corporations that have um, government contracts in huge numbers. So we're starting to start to incorporate it, just like I said with the stock buybacks. I never thought we would get the Secretary of Commerce to agree that federal money would not be utilized for a company that does stock buybacks. It's not just that it won't go to stock buybacks, that the money can't be used for stock buybacks, it's that the company does not get preference for a contract if they're engaging in stock buybacks. That's the same thing we need to do with union busting. One last thing, could you shout out congressional unions also? Yeah, congressional unions, we got that, we got that started to do that in, under democratic control. Of course, Republicans have, have flipped that this term, but just very short period of time. Oh, last question, okay. I'm so sorry, there's such a long line here, but last question. <laughs> Hi, David. Okay, well, thanks for coming out. My name's Ron Paulson, I work at Roosevelt High School. And Roosevelt, <laughs> I can't favor Garfield now no, since no, I represent the district, so Roosevelt. I'm with <laughs> Seattle for Assange, and <laughs> thank you. Given the near stranglehold of corporate media on information, which can't be denied, don't you think it's time to free Julian Assange? Yes. Let's talk some more. <laughs> okay, everybody, we're gonna, we're gonna end now, but let me just say thank you so much 
for being here today, for all, I know David was gonna ask me about ACO Reach, um, and we're still working on that. Oh no, Medicare Advantage maybe. <laughs> no, no, that was the last question, I'm sorry, David. Um, but thank you for being so. <laughs> I'm gonna come talk to you, I know. You, we'll, we'll have time. So, you all? I know there's so many people who are dying to ask questions, but we had a lot of people here. So the reason I do these town halls is so that everybody can have a chance at some point to come and engage. And I just wanna thank you because the 7th Congressional District is, in my view, one of the most with it districts anywhere in the country. I get asked about every single thing possible. And um, I really appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for all the work you do. And thanks for being here tonight. Have a great night. That was excerpts from Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal's Town Hall event. Special thanks to Congresswoman Jayapal's office and Town Hall Seattle for partnership in recording the event to broadcast for you. If you'd like to reach out to Congresswoman Jayapal, visit our website at kbcs.fm for the link. Thanks for tuning in to The Grit this morning on 91.3 KBCS Community Radio. I'm your host and KBCS News Director, Yuko Kadama. Up next is Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman on 91.3 KBCS Music and Ideas.